Well, good morning, LifePoint. As always, it is a joy and a privilege to join you in God's Word this morning. Uh, we are in a series in uh, the book of Matthew entitled, The Messiah Has Come. This morning, we're in the birth narrative, which is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This series looks at the revelation of God's kingdom come. Matthew is writing from a Jewish perspective, and he's drawing on the prophecy of the Old Testament to show us that Jesus is the promised Messiah of God, and he's come to save his people from their sin. So to start this morning, I kind of want to open up with a question here uh, for us to consider, and it's this. Have you ever had your plans fall through? Maybe you're like, well, of course, Brandon, I'm sitting in the middle of it right now, right? As, as am I, okay? Most of us have had that happen in this season. And yeah, I think that might be why this message of the coming Messiah is particularly timeful um, for us in this season. Because the Messiah is a dis the coming of the Messiah is a disruptive life breaking forth in the midst of our life. It's meant to lead us in a full reliance upon Jesus. And that's what we need in this season as well, just like any other. And so the main point that I want to hone in on this morning as we look at this passage is this, that the birth of Jesus ushers in a disruptive kingdom a life with God for all who would trust him and be saved from their sins. So let's turn to Matthew 1 together. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was, formed, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I'm going to give us two observations and uh, applications that come out of this narrative. And the first one that I see is this, that the king comes in the midst of disruption and difficulty. When God acts in the most magnificent ways, there's often disruption. When life tends to break forth, there's often disruption, right? The breaking in of kingdom life is a particular disruption. Some of God's greatest works are done in the most disruptive and difficult times. 
And see here the entrance of the Messiah brought disruption as well. Look at verse 18 with me. This is how the birth took place, the text tells us. Mary is betrothed to Joseph, an engagement during that time, which would have been legally binding to them. Even though they weren't married yet, Mary could actually have, uh, have actually, according to the law, been deserving of punishment for her unfaithfulness. And despite all of this, Joseph shows himself to be a just and honorable man. As, as a matter of fact, it says that he had resolved already to himself to divorce her quietly. He had deliberated in himself and already made up his mind. But God had other plans. God was in the midst of this. And so the angel appears to him in a dream and he tells him, Mary has not been unfaithful, but in fact, the one that she carries within her is none other than Emmanuel, God with us. The prophecy we are told by Matthew comes from Isaiah 7, 14 that's fulfilled here. This at first seems like totally a random kind of context, but in closer look, uh, we see this is a story of a clash of kingdoms. Ahaz, the king of Judah, stands opposite the king of Israel and the king of Syria. They're attempting to force Judah to join them in opposition to these Assyrians who were aggressively invading all of the land during that time and they were slowly kind of working their way towards Egypt. And their strategy was to turn against Jerusalem, threaten to overthrow the king, and force Judah's hand to join their cause. And we're told that upon hearing the, the news of this, uh, about Israel and Syria uh, joining forces against them, the text says the people of Judah in that time and the house of David's hearts were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. In our backyard, um, we have an older swing set that's kind of made out of wood, and over the last few years, it's, it's had a really bad case of carpenter bees. And if you know something about carpenter bees, you know this. They act like they have a, a lot of threat to them, but they're actually harmless, uh, which is why my oldest tends to get bent out of shape about the whole thing, uh, because no matter how many times I tell her those things can't hurt you, as soon as it starts buzzing around, the panic sets in, and there's usually somebody who's frozen and screaming until daddy intervenes, right? And this is kind of what's happening here in this passage. Israel and Syria are harmless to Judah, and yet their fear is consuming Judah in this moment rather than drawing their attention upon trusting God. And so what does this have to do with the coming of the Messiah, this random verse in, in Isaiah 7. There are a few themes that we can actually see here between the two passages. The first one is this. There's an address to the house of David. The word of the Lord comes through Isaiah to Ahaz in the house of David in chapter 7, verse 4, and verse 13. And then we're told in Matthew chapter 1 that the word comes to Joseph, the son of David, in his dream in Matthew 1 verse 20. 
Theme two, there's a prevalent fear involved here. God's word through Isaiah to Ahaz was this. Be careful, keep calm, do not be afraid or lose heart. God has declared his trustworthiness to um, Ahaz in the uproar of the moment and is calling upon him to trust him. God's word through the angel to Joseph was also, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Matthew chapter one, verse 20 again. And then there's a third theme, and that is this persistence of turmoil. Joseph is already seen as an honorable man, as we've seen, and yet he had resolved to separate from Mary quietly. You can almost imagine him as he lays down at night. Maybe you're one of those who does this like me, deliberating to himself. Okay, now I'm parsing all of these details out. All right, tomorrow I know what I'll do. This is what I'll do. But now he must choose to trust God rather than the plans he's made. Because God's trustworthiness has been declared to him and now he must choose to act. Will he act in trust of God or will he act according to his own plans? Ahaz has been given the prophecy as a proof of God's trustworthiness as well. And in the midst of turmoil, and yet before even hearing the sign of God's Emmanuel passage here, he rejects it because he had already decided to rely on something else, namely the power of Assyria. That refusal to trust God is what doomed him and the nation. These backdrops would have been familiar in the minds of Matthew's audience as they understood this prophecy um, and his recording. And so these moments when life comes to us, the, the divine life comes to us, are usually the moments that cause the most disruption. They come with a massive disruption attached to them. Disruption is usually a sign that God is shaking things up a bit so that we might afresh rely upon him and that his life might come in us and enliven us. And so the question for us today is also the same. Will we act in trust of God or according to our own plans and deliberations? Will we trust in the other powers that are at hand or God? The birth of Jesus shows us that God has become human and is with us in every respect except for one way. He has committed no sin. You see, he's come to save his people from their sins so they might accompany him forever. This is the beauty of the gospel. But in order to receive that divine life, they must turn from their sin and, and trust him. But you see, the often uh, overlooked doctrine of Emmanuel is that God being with us is not actually a positive thing when we refuse to trust him. Which leads us to our second observation. The coming king exposes our ultimate hope. Ahaz has been driven by hopelessness that's caused him to look to himself and to the systems of the world for an answer. 
In fact, he's, he's needed to broaden his view of God's working in the moment and the events before him. And so Isaiah here is confronting Judah's uh, trust in a worldly kingdom and the faithlessness of their king. In much the same way, Matthew is confronting the Jewish notion that Jesus would be this political liberator of the day. And yet he says, Jesus has actually come for something much greater, namely the spiritual salvation of people who would seek release from their sins. And so the underlying issue here in both Isaiah and Matthew is, is this. Who is the real king and the ultimate hope? Who is the real king and ultimate hope? The kingdoms and power structures of this world are never enough to hold our hope. And if we cling to them, we will be driven by a sense of hopelessness. But the coming of the Messiah breaks in as a fixture for us, an eternal and perfect hope that will endure forever. It will not move. And when we look to him, we're actually driven and formed by the nearness of the presence of God rather than the chaos of what surrounds us. Listen to how the book of Hebrews portrays this better hope to a people in the midst of difficulty. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 18 and then verses 24 to 25 says it this way. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope has been introduced through which we draw near to God. Because he continues forever, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, there is a true and better hope in Jesus. As one scholar writes, the virtue of hope is lived out in the Christian community as a peaceable kingdom. In the midst of a violent world, the Christian community cultivates the virtue of hope, that being that violence has not the last word in this world, and patience in view of the kingdom, which is already present and in view of the certainty of its final consummation. So friends, what kingdom will be our trust? And who is the real king and ultimate hope we cling to? Finally, we're given as a response two contrasting uh, responses that are potential to us. And the first one is that of Ahaz, the second of Joseph. Ahaz, the son of David, rejects the sign of Emmanuel, he rejects God's trustworthiness, and the nation suffers. This would have undoubtedly been on the mind of the people that were Matthew's audience in that day. But we are also then given a better response of Joseph, that being one of obedient trust. In verse 24, we're told, when he woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, and he called the name of his son Jesus. And so have you had your plans fall through, like the question I asked earlier? And I want to ask it slightly in a little bit of a different way. Have you ever had your plans fall through only to realize God's plans were better? And it's only when we cling to this sure hope that we find that to be true. Joseph did. 
And we see his hope in God led him to an obedient trust as he takes Mary as his wife and he calls upon the name of his son, being Jesus in verse 24. But Ahaz, however, by contrast, was driven by his faithlessness, his frightfulness, which ultimately was bound up in his hopelessness. And so we are living in the midst of a season of massive disruption. No one can deny that. But if Isaiah 7 and Matthew chapter 1 have anything to teach us about these seasons is that those are, the, those are exactly the seasons we're to look for a savior. Those are the seasons that we find ourselves exposed so that we might really rely upon him. You see, it's in this disruption that we get out of our own way, that our lives are interrupted, that the divine life of Jesus might reside in us. You see, the birth of Jesus ushers in a disruptive kingdom, a life with God for all who would trust and be saved from their sins. So I wanna give you two invitations as we close. Will we obey as we've been told or will we be led by faithlessness and hopelessness? Obedience requires that we yield ourselves to align with the king's demands. Instead of trying to run ahead with our own plans, knowing our hope um, means that this violent world does not have the last final world, but the kingdom of God surely does. And so whatever disruption you might be experiencing in this moment is a sign for us to trust him. It's a sign for us to look for the true king and our ultimate hope and have his life come and make its dwelling in us. And so have you, friend, trusted Jesus for the first time and received the forgiveness of sins? I want to invite you just to say yes to him and turn from your sin and plead your case that your, your need of him, that he might come and make his dwelling upon you, that his life might come and enliven yours. But then if you're a Christian, I want to ask, are you trusting him now? Is he your king and your ultimate hope in this season? Has the life of Jesus grown in you? And if not, why not trust him now? Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this disruptive life that comes to us in the Messiah. We live in a disturbing time, and yet we live in a day where your life is surely breaking forth. We need you, Jesus. Would you help us not be led by the systems of this world and our dependence? Might we not be led into faithlessness or hopelessness, but be led into faithfulness and our hope in you? Would you, uh, would you save? Would you enliven for the first time? Would you... Um, in the lives of Christians, draw our attention and, our, and our, um, our need of you to a dependency in a new fashion, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.